0: to seek the Lord and, and to get our hearts right with God. And the very premise of the Lord's table is to remember his death till he comes. And I think that the Bible sets out for us very clearly some guidelines uh, for the Lord's table uh, within the local church that we ought to be right with God. We ought to be right with others. Um, the The Lord's table is an ordinance of the local church. It's not a sacrament. It doesn't make you, you know, give you more favor with God or doesn't give you salvation, but we're remembering his, his, his death and uh, we're remembering the life that we ought to live because of that death. And uh, we use at our church unleavened bread, which speaks of the sinless body of the Lord Jesus and unfermented wine, which speaks of the, the, the blood of Christ without spot or without blemish. Leaven is always a picture of sin in the Bible. And, uh, and so we use, use unleavened bread and unfermented juice and uh, the Bible says in verse 28 that we ought to, in First Corinthians, we ought to examine ourselves. And I think it's important for believers uh, to examine their life, to make sure they're walking with God before they take of the Lord's table. I believe the Lord's table is given to the local church, and you ought to be a part of a local church uh, or a part of this local church. Uh, and so I, I think it's important for us to examine our lives uh, before we take of the Lord's table because... I believe the Bible gives us a warning in Scripture. And uh, in Psalm 85, there's a wonderful passage of Scripture here. We're going to read verse number 1. We'll continue this Scripture. And I, again, I think the Lord's table is a, a great time for us to reflect on our life uh, and to make decisions based on the direction we're heading. Look what the Bible says in verse 1. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sins, Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Will thou be angry with us forever? Will thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Will thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. Now, Psalm 85, there's no doubt about it. Uh, it was written right after uh, Israel's return from Babylon. And in, in this passage of Scripture, there's a prayer for restoration. There's a prayer for revival. Uh, there, there's a prayer for walking with, with God again, uh, you know, as, as we think of this remarkable truth in this passage of Scripture and the fact of God's restoration, uh, everywhere you would look in Jerusalem, there would be rubble, there would be destruction. And yet, as the psalmist is looking at the condition of his land, uh, he's more concerned, not the physical appearance of the land, but he's more concerned about the spiritual condition of the people. And uh, God is also more concerned about the spiritual condition of his people. And as the psalmist is looking at the, at the condition in the hearts of people, he's crying out to God that there would be restoration physically, but also restoration spiritually. And, and so we find in this passage of Scripture really a, a, a desire that, that God would bring a people from gloom to gladness. And again, this is not the physical outcome of Jerusalem, but the spiritual decisions of God's people. And so I want us to think about this idea of revival or or the idea of being revived. And I think a lot of people misunderstand uh, what what revival is. Uh, It was Finney who said this, Charles Finney said this. He defines revival simply. He says, revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. A revival is just saying yes to God again. A revival is just fresh obedience. I wasn't following God. I wasn't uh, listening to God, and now I'm going to do that. Now I'm going to say uh, yes to God again. Uh, Arthur uh, Wallace, in his book entitled "In The Day of Thy Power, he writes this. He says, the meaning of any word is determined by its usage. For a definition of revival, we must therefore appeal to the people of God and gone years who have used the word with consistency of meaning down the centuries until it came to be used in a lesser and more limited sense in modern times. Revival is God revealing himself to mankind in awesome holiness and power. Uh, Revival is seeing God again and and having a reverence and respect for who he is. I I think in our generation, in our day, um, if we need revival in anything in our society, it's a revival for who God is and a fresh view of who God is, a fresh perception of who God is. J. Edward Orr says this, the best definition of revival is the phrase, times of refreshing, from the presence of the Lord. And so revival is that refreshing in our life, fresh obedience, saying yes to God, uh, and walking with God once again. And so I want to give you a couple of thoughts here uh, as we think about revival, because I think it's important, we often take revival and we put it into a national sense, but revival begins in a personal sense. It begins in my heart, it begins in your heart. And revival will never reach a church, and never reach a country, and never reach a nation or a world, except it start in the heart of an individual. And so this is the message that the psalmist is talking about. Will you revive us again? Will we look to you again and be restored spiritually once again? so I want us to think about this. Revival is building up ourselves, okay, in our most holy faith. So, so what is the idea? What, what is the psalmist saying here? Well, I, I think first of all, there's the requirement of revival. He says in verse 6, Will thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Spurgeon said this, A genuine revival without joy in the Lord is as impossible as spring without flowers or day dawn without light. Think about for just a moment the revival that took place in David's heart. I mean, Psalm 51 is is a great example, I believe, of that prayer of confession and restoration to God. And Psalm 51 is is an incredible prayer. Uh, Probably a year into David's life or a year that David lived with the the guilt of the sin of Bathsheba and the conviction of that sin, a year of living uh, without joy in his life, and finally, in Psalm 51, David gets his heart right with with uh, get his heart right with God, and he says in Psalm 51, verse 10, "Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from Thy presence, and take not Thy Holy Spirit from me." We can pause there for just a moment. I don't want to take a rabbit trail, but we have to understand the theology in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit was not given as a seal or a down payment to their salvation. But God God gave the Holy Spirit to to specific people for specific tasks. And God had given his spirit to David to lead a nation for his glory. And here David is saying, God, don't don't take your spirit away from me. I need your spirit to help me and to enable me to be the king that you want me to be. And so don't don't take your spirit away from me. He says in verse 12, restore unto me the joy of God. Of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit, then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto unto thee. So I think the requirement of revival is simple: all of us need revival. There's not a person here, including the one behind this pulpit, that doesn't need to be revived in some area of our spiritual life. Uh, the reality is all of us are in need of restoration and revival and a fresh obedience to the Lord. Uh, God wants us to say yes to him. And I made this statement this morning in the message as we think of the breastplate of righteousness that the devil is quickly there to steal away the word of God from our hearts. And, uh, you know, he, he's at work and he's, the devil's trying to get us to, to spoil our hearts so that we don't, Serve the Lord and don't follow the Lord. And I'm here to tell you, according to the Bible, uh, that God wants us to follow him. And God wants us to say yes to him and obey him. And, and so all of us need have areas of our life that, that need to be revived. It's not a matter of, well, you know, I hope this person gets right with God, or that person gets right with God, or I really hope this individual hears the message. That's not, that's not what God is saying. God is saying, no, it's, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in need of prayer. We need to be revived. There's areas of our life that need to be revived. And so there's the requirement of revival, but I think there's also the road to Revival. So in Psalm 85, in verse 3, the Bible says, Thou hast taken away all thy wrath, thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Look what he says in verse 4. I think it's a great statement. He says, Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Will thou be angry with us forever? Will thou draw out thine anger to all generations? We use the word repentance, and repentance uh, is a changing of our mind that leads to a change of direction. And here we have the psalmist saying, Lord, turn us. Turn my direction in my life. Turn my direction. Obviously, we have a people that's traveling away from God. And and the psalmist is saying, Lord, turn us to God. Turn our hearts toward God. And and I think it's important also for us to understand that revival takes action. You can't just sit in the pew and hope revival slaps you in the face. (laughs) That's not going to happen. No, you've got to act upon it. And the Bible tells us over and over again that we are to draw nigh to God, and God will draw nigh to us. But we notice the initiation there. Take the first step to God, and God will take a step toward you. But you've got to have to act. You're going to have to take a step. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 is probably the, the, the verse that everyone who preaches on revival will use. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. But you notice the initiative there. You notice that, that there's action required. If my people will, if they'll seek my face, if they'll pray, if they'll turn. And so here, here the psalmist is saying, God, turn us, change our direction, change our heart. Um, Stephen F. Olford, uh, uh, in his book, he calls it a heart cry for revival. He says this about this, this idea. He says, If there is to be revival in the spiritual life and power, it must begin with the individual believer. And there is great need for a personal searching of the heart and exercise of the soul in this matter. The sin which is spoiling the life of the Christian must be judged and put away, The selfishness, which is robbing Christ's love and devotion, which are uh, his due, must be confessed and removed. The ambitions and desires, which are hindering the work of God, must be uprooted and thrown on a refusal heap. A renewal of blessing is dependent upon the restoration of communion and and uh, re-consecration of heart and life. And so there's a decision that, that is to be made we're going to have to have the attitude of, you know, Lord, change me. Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me. And and Lord, help me to follow you. This is the attitude of the psalmist in Psalm 139. And you you know it. Search me, O God, and know my heart and try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a prayer uh, for God to make changes in our life. And then we need to act upon that as God reveals to us. You know, there's many theologians that would tell us that uh, we are living in the Laodicean church age. And uh, I don't really believe that the the churches in the book of Revelation are various ages of, of history. I believe that every church in the book of Revelation can be found at one in every period of time, um, But I do believe that the Laodicean church age is really a Laodicean church heart. And I think that a Laodicean church makes up Laodicean church people that have a Laodicean church heart. And that heart is indifference. Indifference. In fact, even blindness. The Bible says it in the last days that People will have a form of godliness, but they'll deny the power thereof of such turn away. They, they, they go through the motions, but they're indifferent to the real spiritual power available to them. And of course, that takes a decision that we would say, God, use me. God, show me. God, guide me. God, direct me. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible says uh, of the Laodicean church, I know thy works, that there are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich. Now, notice why this attitude made God sick. It made God sick because they were saying, I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, I have need of nothing, and God is saying, don't you know your heart condition? You look the part, and, and you, know, you have everything that you need financially or materially, but spiritually you're dying inside. Spiritually, he says, you you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And then God says, you got to do something about that. Laodicea was known for their eye salve. They would ship this eye salve all over the known world. And, And here the Lord Jesus said, why don't you anoint your eyes with some eye salve and see your own spiritual condition and see where you are with God? Because you say you're this, But you're not this at all. And there has to be this action. There there has to be uh, this decision that is to be made. And so Jesus tells the church at Laodicea, push aside pride and push aside complacency and indifference in your spiritual life and look at your life and see the need and rekindle that. Make a decision for the Lord and follow him and be revived. In fact, the Bible says this, repent, change direction, turn around, and head toward the Lord. Where once you were heading in this direction, turn us, the psalmist said, that we may turn to God and follow God. We, We sing that hymn from the scripture of Psalm 139, and we sing it at this church often. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, and know my thoughts, I pray. And see if there be some wicked way in me, Cleanse me from every sin, and set me free. Let me give you my last point, and that is the reason for revival. Why is it important? Well, look what the Bible says in verse 8. He says, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. This is Psalm 51. Hide thy face from from my sins and blotted all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways. And sinners shall be converted unto thee. Why is it important to be revived? Is so that sinners will be converted to the Lord so that the life that we live that was once for ourselves and our own way, that we would be turned around and restored and that we would follow the Lord so that sinners would be restored and renewed and resurrected by the power of the Lord. You see, when Christians are revived, then souls come to be saved. Laborers go into the harvest, and this is God's heart. And this is what the psalmist is concerned about. This is what the psalmist wants among his people. In 1904, all of of Wales was aflame. Nothing had ever come over Wales with such far-reaching results. Infidels were being converted, drunkards and thieves and gamblers were being saved, and thousands were being reclaimed into respectability. The people left theaters for churches, Mules in the coal mines refused the work because they had never been used to such kindness. In five weeks, 20,000 people joined churches and got saved. And you know, it all started, it all started with a handful of people, just a handful of people, probably less than what we have this afternoon, who got serious with God and said, revive me. And God got a hold of their hearts, and they turned toward the Lord, and God did something wonderful in their life. And so as we come into the Lord's table, I believe that's what the Lord's table is. It's an opportunity to say, Lord, turn me. You know, the Bible says that if we have unconfessed sin or we're not right with God, that that we should get that right. And there's an opportunity here. For us to say, Lord, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me so that we can be restored and refreshed to live a life for the Lord. And so as the Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to take a moment now. I'm going to ask the gentleman that's going to help me with the Lord's table to come. And we're going to take a moment and we're going to examine our life. And uh, if, uh, as the Bible teaches us, uh, if you are walking with the Lord and a part of a church, and I I strongly encourage you to take of the Lord's uh, table with us this afternoon. So let's take a moment and pause and uh, ask God to search our hearts. Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same...